But why is supported by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids. I'm Jane Lindholm. On this show, we take questions from kids just like you all over the world, and we find answers. Today, we're talking about something really big. Hi, my name is Arlo, and I'm seven years old. I am from St. Catharines, Ontario, My question is, what is climate change? That's a good question, Arlo. And while climate change is something a lot of adults have had to come to terms with in our lifetimes, it's something kids like you are growing up hearing about. Today we're going to talk a little bit about what climate change is and how it's affecting the planet, as well as what it means for people around the world. There's way more to climate change than we can fit into one episode, so I hope you'll use this as a way to start thinking about the issue and asking questions. We have lots of resources where you can learn more in our show notes for this episode and at our website, butwhykids.org. And you might also enjoy listening to our episode about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch from 2019. We've gotten messages from lots of kids who said they helped their families and schools stop using disposable plastic after they listened to that episode. For today's show, we're going to talk with two people who study climate change and its effects and know this issue really deeply. In a little while, we'll learn about how the people who are most affected by climate change are often the people least responsible for it. And that would include all of you, kids. But first, let's get a better understanding of what climate change actually is. My name is Claudia Benitez-Nelson. I am a professor at the University of South Carolina, and I am an oceanographer. I study the oceans. Uh, I look at how things get into the ocean. And then once that material is in the ocean, what happens to it? Where does it go? And how does it feed uh, the various plants and animals that live in the ocean, not only at the surface, but also way down deep uh, where no light penetrates? Oceanographers like Claudia spend a lot of time thinking about climate change because just like dry land, the ocean and other water sources are really affected by changes in the global temperature. Claudia is also a member of Science Moms, a group of climate scientists who are also parents and who want to help other families understand climate change. So Claudia offered to help answer your questions about just that. I'm Caroline, I'm six years old, and I live in Connecticut. And my question is, what is global warming? I have no idea. Hi, my name is Bachi, and I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm five years old. My question is, what is climate change? Climate change is the long-term change in weather patterns and global temperature around the world. You might have noticed that Caroline said global warming and Archie said climate change. 
People sometimes say global warming because overall the planet is getting warmer. But in recent years, the term climate change has started to be used more because that's the way we experience this warming of the planet. It isn't just in terms of warming, it's all kinds of changes. Hotter average temperatures can have really different effects depending on where you live. We are really talking about these long-term changes in temperature, years to decades, as well as weather patterns. So it's both temperature, which is the warming piece, but it's also just how our weather um, and how our climate has changed in other ways. For example, there's not enough rain. There's too much rain. There's a lot more storms than we used to have, like hurricanes or tomato, or excuse me, tomatoes, tornadoes. <laughs> I know, tornadoes. And so, oh no, killer tomatoes. I know, isn't that a funny idea? All joking aside, climate change is pretty serious. Some of you want to know why we're experiencing it. Hello, my name is Sophia. I'm from Queens, New York, and I'm seven ye- years old. And I want to know. Who or what caused global warming? My name is Cruz, and I'm four years old, and I live in Austin, Texas. And my question is, how does climate change work? Hello, my name is Sophia. I live in Ontario, Canada, and I want to know why climate change is bad. Our global climate is always changing. If you've heard our episode about the most recent ice age, you know there have been times when much of the world was covered in ice. And other times in our past have been even hotter than it is now. So that's right. Our Earth has changed. It has had climate change, you know, over millennia, thousands and millions of years. Little things like how the Earth shifts and wobbles and moves around the sun. Um, or the actual, you know, the intensity of the sun, the strength of the sun can vary. Our oceans, they change and move. And we can even have volcanic eruptions that spew all of this material into the atmosphere and kind of block sunlight. So that is right. I mean, we, our, our planet has changed naturally, but the air that surrounds our planet contains these gases that act like this nice, cozy blanket. And what we've done a lot differently is that because of how we, um, the technological advances, we now have cars, we now have planes, we all have plastic, we all have cell phones, and, you know, we all love to play our, you know, our video games. In that process, we have taken, um, oil and gas that was locked in our planet, and we have released it into the atmosphere, right? Into the air that we have, that we breathe. And we have done that. That is what we have done for as humans. That is well beyond kind of how the earth little wobbles a little bit or a volcanic eruption. It is all on us. And so again, that goes back to, we've added these fossil fuels, these carbon dioxide to the atmosphere, and that blanket is getting thicker and thicker and warmer, and we're getting hot as a result of it. And so that's really where we've, we've um, played a role in, in doing things and, and making our planet a little bit different than it used to be. And when we talk about the planet getting warmer, sometimes people may be hearing things like it's getting one degree warmer or two degrees warmer or five degrees warmer. And if we think about that in our own life, 
we think of five degrees as not that much. But when it comes to the overall average temperature on the planet, why is that important? So you're right. It doesn't seem that much, right? It's just a degree here. It's just a degree there. But, you know, those really small changes in um, in the temperature really does have um, an impact on our planet. And so it turns out those little tiny changes in temperature are just enough that, yes, it doesn't rain quite as much as it used to. And we can actually see that. So for example, if you live in Texas or Arizona and there hasn't been as much rain, well, that means things are drier. That means there's more drought and it's dry out and it's a little a little hotter, a little stickier. You're right, it's not that much, but it is just enough that then when there is a forest fire, there's so much drought and things are so dry, Boy, those fires really take off and they spread and they're not as easy to to shut down like we used to be able to do it in the past. It's almost like the earth is getting a fever because five degrees of temperature difference in our own bodies really is a big deal. If my body temperature is 98 degrees, then I feel great. If my body temperature is 103 degrees, I feel really bad and weird things are happening in my body that aren't normal. And and that sort of translates for me in an interesting way to think about what a difference uh, three or five degrees in terms of global temperature might mean too. It really doesn't take a, a whole lot. That's why I like to talk about the earth as being just like, just like us, because it is. You mentioned you study the ocean, and Owen in South Carolina has a question about climate change and the ocean. I am six and a half years old. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. My question is, how is global warming affecting the oceans? Well, global warming, climate change is affecting our ocean in a lot of different ways. And I will just say that when you increase the temperature, what happens to ice? It melts and it has to go somewhere. And so all of that ice is melting into the ocean. And you might have noticed that sea level or the the level at which the ocean is kind of coming up to the beach has gotten higher and higher, right? So that is, you know, melting of ice makes our, our sea level, our oceans kind of move into like the nearby um, towns or crosses the roads that are right across the beach. Um, So that's one. So we have more flooding and higher tides, sometimes flooding and higher tides when they're beautiful days out, because that's just how it happens. We're also making it so hot in not just us, like we feel the temperature change, but our oceans are getting warmer too. They feel that temperature and that's making it really hot for some of our plants and animals to survive, right? And we know this, what happens when in South Carolina, when we put the tomato plants out in the summer and we don't water it enough or we put it too much in direct sunlight, you know, it's not a happy plant. The same is true, right? When we're putting it into the oceans. And so, um, Coral reefs, you might have heard of these beautiful reefs with all the beautiful fish. They are not doing well. They in particular are having a hard time. And for us who really like seafood, it looks like a lot of those fisheries, you know, a lot of the the seafood that we eat, you know, 
that's also, they also are not responding very well to these higher temperatures. And so they are going to be declining and that, that is also going to be a problem. Um, I could talk about a few other things in the oceans, but for me, those are the, those are the big things, you know, the sea level rising, it getting too hot um, and, and other things that, that happen when you just put a lot of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Um, it's like adding soda to the oceans. And so I don't, you know, that, that, that's not a good thing when you, I don't know, we don't water our plants with soda. So I will just say, I think these are um, other things that are impacting the, the life and, um, and, and us as we use our oceans. Coming up, what can we do to stop climate change? This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids. I'm Jane Lindholm. We're answering questions about climate change today. Compared to 150 years ago, our planet has warmed up by a little more than 2 degrees Fahrenheit, which is a little more than 1 degree Celsius. Fahrenheit and Celsius are just two different ways of measuring temperature. Human activity has caused this rapid rise in the global temperature, and we're learning that even just a degree or two of warming can cause significant changes. Climate change can mean more big storms that drop a lot of rain or have a lot of wind all at once, but actually there's less rain overall over the course of a year. It can make ice melt in places where there are glaciers and icebergs, which can raise the sea level in places far away from all of that ice. And it can change the ecosystem for all kinds of living things in the ocean and on Earth, including humans. Many people who study climate change say that if we don't make some really big changes, we could see temperatures rise much higher. Some of you want to know how we can stop it. Hi, my name is Audrey. I'm seven years old, and I'm from Wibbingwana, Nebraska. My question is, what is global warming, and what can we do to stop it? I am Baxter. I'm four years old, and I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. How do you cool down the earth? Here's Claudia Benitez-Nelson again. Well, let me just say, the best and easiest way for us to, to change or to reduce global warming and climate change is just to reduce the amount of gas and oil and fossil fuels that we use. Reduce how far we drive, turn off the lights, walk up and down the stairs, stop using plastic, which by the way is produced from oil. I think all of us together can really make a huge difference, right? We are developing new technologies every day about batteries that last longer, um, going to solar power um, that I think can really make a difference in how efficient we are and how we use the energy that we need to kind of power all of those toys and games and getting in the car and going to practice, you know, all those things that we really want. So I am a firm believer we just need to, you know, to reduce the amount that we're putting in the atmosphere. And that means we need to invest. Invest means to put money into something, as well as other resources, like time and smart people working on solving the problem of climate change, finding ways to not burn fossil fuels. When Claudia says we all need to do our parts, I want to be clear that you, as a kid, didn't cause climate change. And it's not up to you alone or just your family to fix these problems. In fact, I know lots of you are already working hard to make sure you do your part. 
But it is going to take all of us together, our schools, our states, our countries, to invest more in ways to get off fossil fuels. And we're going to have to do it pretty fast, because the Earth is now warming up faster, and more warming means more significant changes. That sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? We don't want to scare you. As Claudia says, there's a lot of work being done on this issue already. And humans are experts at learning how to adapt. We wanted to get some information on how climate change is affecting human life and what people are doing to deal with those changes. Okay, so my name is Jola Ajibade, and I would introduce myself as a professor working on climate change at Portland State University. Jola is a professor who studies geography. When I think about geography, I actually think about the earth, (laughs) not just landscape and land formation, right? I think, as you mentioned earlier, I think about our water systems. I think about plants, the animal, the biodiversity that we are used to and how those are changing. I think about different culture and people, um, uh, different access that we have to resources around uh, various parts of the world. So depending on what part of the world you live in, what your government and economy are like, and what your family resources are, you might have a different relationship to natural resources, like water or land where you can grow crops, than people in other parts of the world. And climate change can change people's access to resources especially in places where people are resource dependent, which means that they depend on the, rain, uh, the rainfall to grow their crops and then to be able to access um, food, which meaning that their food security is tied to the rain, unlike here where some people just go to the supermarket and you pick up things, right? I mean, not that people don't have supermarket elsewhere, but for some communities, it really depends, their, their livelihood really depends on the rain patterns, right? So I think about all of those issues. And as you said, I also think about the uneven access that we've had, um, not, not just in terms of the shifting patterns and resources, but also in terms of the economics of the world, right? Uh, who has always had access to food, to, to water, like in, in, in relative amount, um, to, to better livelihood, to the better lifestyle. So Jola says geography is really important when it comes to climate change. And often it's people who did the least to cause climate change who are feeling the most effects and have the fewest resources to deal with them. Groups bearing the impact of climate change are historically people who have been, uh, I I don't want to call people vulnerable, but I would say who have been marginalized, uh, politically marginalized, economically marginalized, racially marginalized as well. And they are still the same group of people experiencing the severe impact of climate change. That's a lot to take in, isn't it? The important part to realize is that the impact of climate change is not even. When Jola mentioned marginalized people, that's a really good vocabulary word. Marginalized means pushed to the edges. So marginalized people don't have the power or sometimes the money to make changes. But they're often the ones that have to deal with the worst effects of climate change. So I asked Jola to help us understand, as we think about that, how people globally are responding. Number one, coping. Usually people find ways to cope. Sometimes they bring out buckets to collect the water. They put stones around their homes to prevent the sea level rise, depending on where they're living, if they're living around the coast. Um, So they do all of those things to still try to live with the impact of the climate change, right, that they are seeing in their community. And then when you can't cope with them, what do you do? You think, okay, should I relocate? Uh, Meaning that 
where you're living, let's say you're living in um, some rural area that got flooded or some urban area that gets repeatedly flooded, you may decide, I want to move to a higher ground. Again, all of this adaptation are not without its cost, financial cost and, and other types of cost as well, the cost to your family, because you may have been living in a particular location with your grandparents, you know, that's your home, that's the neighborhood you know, those are the people you love. If you're an indigenous person, for instance, trying to or having to relocate from a place that is, you know, the land for many indigenous people is who they are. They, they see themselves, the ancestral land as part of their existence, as their parents, as, as really, you know, everything that connects to their spiritual being, as well as their physical uh, uh, well-being. And so having to relocate is not always an easy decision for those groups. Relocation and migration are already happening. But Jola says there are other ways people are working to adapt, too. When it comes to technology, we're going to see more technology around early warning, uh, letting people know that certain impacts are coming, whether it's a flood coming, like better predictions of flooding, of hazards, and that could help people make decisions about what to do. What I would like to see is a change in culture, is a change in our expectation of what in America here, what people call the American dream. The idea that everybody needs to have a big house, you need to have two or three cars and live in a single family units with all these lush green places, which typically was okay in the 1980s. I think it'll be difficult for everybody to have that without us increasing greenhouse gas emissions. So, so we need to tamper our expectations and try to live within the earth's carrying capacity. We, if we're really serious about climate change, we need to think about who we are and how is it our own lifestyle, our own desires, our own expectations. How do we make sure that those things are not also contributing to climate change? Jola uses her own life experiences to help explain this. I'm originally from Nigeria and I lived with very limited resources, right? So one bucket of water is what I would have for my bath in the morning. And that was like, wow, yeah, I was able to get water today, right? Especially when I was even in high school, those were really difficult. And, and it was just, just me, it was everybody. That was, you know, what we lived with. And so when I got here, you would run the shower and you just had water, endless water. And so I would always tell my daughter, no. <laughs> you don't need to you don't need to run the shower like I would twist the shower head such that just the amount of water that is needed is not because we couldn't we couldn't afford to run the water here but because I'm always mindful of the fact that elsewhere people don't have this and so the resources you have in your own home and in your country trying to make sure that you're not overusing that you're not you know wasting water you're not wasting energy like in my house I, I just put up the light not because anybody's policing me but because I'm mindful of where I'm coming from, the fact that we don't even have the electricity, constant electricity, that's a luxury. So what I think uh, children living in the West or in, in countries that are wealthy can do is to think about their own, um, not only the resources they have, but how they can manage that, not just for themselves, but for the next generation and for the world. So conserving energy, conserving water use, uh, recycling, those are important, but also educating all their peers about the importance of this energy conservation, of um, uh, um, uh, effective use of water or reduction in the use of water, and also educating their parents as well. That's right. Children can educate their parents. After all, you are going to have to deal with the effects of climate change for your whole lives. So you should use your voices to get adults now to make sure the planet is okay for you to live in when you are adults. 
all of this might start to make you feel really discouraged. But remember the oceanographer we were talking with earlier, Claudia Benitez-Nelson? Claudia says she's not discouraged and doesn't want you to be either. She's actually really excited about the future. I am so excited that I have you who are interested about how are we going to make a difference and change it. And I'm going to say it is you. I want you to go and I want you to explore new opportunities, new technologies, better ways to to plant or, you know, how, how we make sure that we don't always have all these plastic bags everywhere, right? And, and how do we reuse, reduce, and save? I think those are fundamentally the ways that we are, we are going to make the most difference quickly and effectively. And like Jola, Claudia says you can influence adults. I want each and every one of these wonderful kids who are asking these questions, I want you to go out and have these conversations with your parents. I want you to have these conversations with your teachers. I want you to think about what you're doing for your schools. How are your schools saving on energy? And what are they doing um, to reduce what we call a carbon footprint in oil and gas? And more importantly, I think you as kids, you have such a strong voice. I think you should be writing letters. You should be writing letters to your mayor, um, to your, um, your, your state legislature, right? Your state government and even, um, and even to the federal government. You can write it to the president. You can write it to your, um, you know, all sorts of individuals. I think it's really important that you make your voices heard because this is your planet. This is where you are living. This is where we are all living. And I want you to have all of the same opportunities and see the beautiful fish and do all the things that I've gotten to do um, that, that may not necessarily be there, you know, in the future. Thank you so much for asking your questions about climate change. And thanks to Claudia Benitez-Nelson, a professor at the University of South Carolina and member of Science Moms, and Jola Ajibade, a professor at Portland State University. We have resources for you in our show notes and at butwhykids.org. That's it for today. If you have a question, email it to questions at butwhykids.org. We'll do our best to get an answer for you. But Why is produced by Melody Beaudet and me, Jane Lindholm, at Vermont Public Radio. Our show is distributed by PRX, and our theme music is by Luke Reynolds. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode. Until then, stay curious. Stay curious.